T-minus 10, 9. You're listening to the Launchpad Podcast with J-Man. Brought to you by Galant Media. Here's your host, J-Man. All right, J-Man here, and thank you once again for popping in for the Launchpad Podcast, brought to you by Galant Media, my sponsor. Big ups for websites, graphic design, custom t-shirts, and more. Visit them online at galantmedia.ca. And I am incredibly excited to be talking with this young lady. You're one of the first people that I spoke to before I even really knew what this podcast was going to look like. Uh, She is a four-time Juno-nominated artist to this year. Uh, that would be for Group of the Year and Pop Album. Oh, we're going to keep on going here. Their song, <laughs> Ain't Easy, Certified Platinum. That's pretty badass. She's an <laughs> Ottawa native. Yay for that. And winner of the launch. It's rare when usually you have someone that sees such quick success and you're able to put a face to the voice. And we're very fortunate to do so right now. This is Jamie Fine of Elijah Woods and Jamie Fine. Thank you so much for stopping by the podcast. Oh, man, thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. We've been trying for a while. We have been trying for quite some time. I believe the first time that we spoke about this, we were at Moxie's, mm-hmm. and we're just kind of shooting the shit. We're saying, we're going to get this done, then it didn't happen. Then I think we bumped into each other again. You're like, just take my number, and we're going to make sure that this happens. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, right? And then the world falls apart, and hey, here we are. Here we go. That's what we needed. We needed a pandemic to come together. Right. Absolutely. So this is one of the highlights of COVID-19 for (laughs) me. And know what? We'll just dive into it just a little bit since we're there. What are you doing? I have so many artists on my social media, you know, from being in radio for 17 years. They're not able to gig. They're not able to go out there and make money. And summer is festival season to where you can command a little bit more coin. What's happening? What's popping? I think, you know what, I think we're finding a little comfort, which sounds a little dark, but we're finding comfort in the fact that all artists are in the same boat and there's not one artist that has an advantage over anybody else. And I think that that's kind of the first time that this has happened in this industry where the A-listers don't really have an advantage over um, the B, C, D listers. Um, we're all, we're all striving for the same thing to keep a platform. Um, I think Elijah and I both kind of talked at the beginning of this, we talked to our team and we wanted to alleviate pressure, um, from ourselves. We're human beings too. And this is just as tough for us as it is, you know, for other people. And I think at the beginning of this, there was this pressure on artists to entertain. And there was this pressure on artists to say, take our minds off of this. Well, our minds are on it too. Who's taking our minds off of it. Um, and, and I think that we wanted to find a happy medium between saying, you know what, this is our job. We can, we can do this and we can have fun doing it by the same token, um, alleviating that pressure, as I say, and, and just being human beings and being anxious like the rest of the world, um, and finding ways to deal with that. So I think we've, we've both just been writing and, and finding inspiration still. There's tons of inspiration out there. So we're looking for it and, and writing about it. And that's what we do best, right? We're going back to our writing roots and, and taking a break from the whole traveling and, on the road thing, which can be super distracting, actually. Right. I cultivated a garden. <laughs> That's what that. I did. I yeah, love thank that you. For thank you. you. I so love that I'm for you. Really curious. I want to just deep dive on that a little bit because artists, performers, you're storytellers of the times, right? And is there anything that you're writing right now that reflects? the pandemic that we're facing right now, or possibly the love that you're experiencing from what we're going through right now, the unity of what we see with everything that's happening today around the world? 
it's beautiful. Like it, it's, that's the thing is, um, when I look at everything that's happening from the pandemic to the, you know, these latest movements and everything, there's so much inspiration because, um, you look at, listen, there's part of the world that's being idiots. Let's be honest. There's part of the world, but that's always going to be the case. Right. Um, there's, there's a really huge part of the world that's really coming together, um, in a way that, that I think has always existed, but it's being filmed. It's being, it's being, um, portrayed all throughout the media. That's, that's, a, it's become a real story. Um, and I think that in itself is, is inspirational for all artists because we're all coming together to, to have the same voice, to say the same thing for the most part. Um, and that in itself is, is the inspiration. It's people coming together. It's people um, showing more love. It's people showing more support. And it's also seeing the outrageous transparency of the people who are doing the opposite. And that's something to write about too, right? Um, so it's all very, I don't know, it's all really uh, relative to, to every writer. Some are writing about the good, some are writing about the bad, but it's, it's all out there and it's all inspiration you can pull from. Right. Okay, well, thank you for that. So let's go pre-COVID. <laughs> let's go back maybe. to algonquin kind of where it all started in regards to the duo that we know today and you were there for culinary arts is that correct culinary yeah okay and what got you towards culinary besides the obvious which is a love for food which many yeah. people oh, have man. myself included yeah so um uh, you know what? I was in high school. I was always very academic. Um, I wasn't, I lied to your face just then. I wasn't always very academic until my parents were like, you need to do Kumon. <laughs> I was like, all right. So in grade five, I went into Kumon um, and became very academic. Um, even though that wasn't, um, you know, organically where my, you know, how my brain was. Um, I was always very creative. I always, I was always that kid who asked why and people were like, shut up, just do it. And I'm like, why? And they hated me. Um, I just always, I always wanted to learn differently. Um, and so in high school, when it came time, you know, that, you know, in grade 12, when we're all start freaking out about what we want to do next, um, it was actually my teachers in all my academic classes that were like, buddy, like you can go to university if you want. I applied for social work, uh, at Carleton and they accept like 25 students internationally a year. I'm like, there's no way I'm getting, I'm getting in this program. So last minute, I was like, I've always wanted to cook. I've always, I've always loved cooking. I've always had a passion for it. Um, and I'd love to go to culinary school. So I applied last minute, ended up getting into both programs. And I was like, shit, now I have a decision to make. My parents obviously were like, buddy, social work. Um, but ultimately, they were super supportive. And, and I went to culinary school. And it was, it, was pro it was definitely one of the best decisions I ever, I've ever made. Um, not just because I met, I ended up meeting Elijah and a lot of people that I work with today, but just because it allowed me to finally accept how I learn and, and stop pushing myself in a really academic direction, which I don't like that, you know, comparing academic to not, it's not, it doesn't, it sounds like you're saying smart or stupid, which, which to me, it never was. We just, people like me learn differently. Um, and it finally allowed me to, to have that opportunity to learn in the way I feel like I was meant to learn while also pursuing what I truly, truly, truly love, which was music. Right. Okay. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to drop a plug, your favorite place to eat in Ottawa. Love that. Um, you know what? I, I ha not even just because it's my friend Dreamland Cafe. If you have not tried it, oh my God, like you're going to have to go for a run after because it's, it's pasta. Um, but oh my God, they do it so well. And Coco and her sister, the owners are, are good friends. So Dreamland Cafe on Preston, I'd say is one of my tops for sure. Okay. Awesome. Now I'm curious because one of my favorite experiences comes through food as well. And it was something that I had no interest in doing because 
I never consider myself to be a real foodie, even though I love my steak and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I had the opportunity to go to the Sobe Wine and Food Festival, Food Festival in Miami. Have you ever had the opportunity to go there? I haven't. I've heard of it. Oh my god! Your face will explode <laughs> if I'm not even a foodie, and I, it's one of the most favorite things I've ever oh. done. I've actually gone back a second time uh, on my own. The first time was through Live, that MLM that I was doing, yep. and I really I had no interest in going personally, but it was a strategic move. Uh, and now I plan on going back at least biannually because it is just absolutely amazing. I hear incredible things. I need to go. The, the, the way that food festival, especially the one in Ottawa, even even though there's no comparison in terms of size, it, everywhere around the world is stepping their game up culinary, culinarily wise. Um, right. Just because there's so much out there, right? There's so much creativity. Everyone's, it's such a competition, but it's like a healthy competition. So even the food show in Ottawa is doing a crazy job. And what's your favorite dish? To make or to eat? both because i know I you like to cook that. yeah <laughs> i love to cook yeah um i'd say my favorite to cook anything seafood or f like f yeah fish related um i love like peering, like searing a, a beautiful piece of salmon or trout uh lobster is one of my favorite things to cook uh but to eat i'm gonna have to say lobster i'm like a lobster fanatic Okay. Badass. A little bougie. A little bougie. A little bougie. You're fancy. Whatever. You're fancy. Nothing wrong with that. Hold the caviar, but I'll think of it. Okay. Now let's talk about the flip side of Algonquin, which is obviously where you and Elijah came together. And I heard the story that basically he heard your voice through a phone and he knew right then and there that there was something really special about you so can you just basically go a little bit further on that mm -hmm. connection yeah so it's it's uh our, actually our guitarist now um matt st jules he's, he's such a wicked talented you've seen him perform i think you, i think you've come to a couple live shows you've seen him perform right. i used to perform with him we had this little duo going on called loose change um and he was in the program um music industry arts with elijah uh at the time where i was graduated and just working in the culinary department at algonquin um, so I was working in this, in the restaurant part of, of the college and, and I guess Matt had recorded me uh, singing in his basement with him, like one of the practices we had and he showed it to Elijah um, and Elijah, they, uh, in that program, you can get like studio time. They give, they give the students studio time. So he was like, all right, like, let's get in a studio. So he came to meet me at the restaurant on like a Tuesday. We set it up for a Saturday and it was just like, it was just epic. And I don't think it was something, I think the beautiful part about it was that we didn't think about it until two years later, we woke up and we were like, whoa, we worked together for two years and it's been flawless, like between the two of us um, and growing together and learning together. And we, we saw the first song that we ever wrote together, which nobody on the face of the planet will ever hear. Um, Cause at the time, <laughs> at the time we were like, this is the shit. And now yeah. we're like, oh my God. We're going to no be rich. We're going to yeah. be rich. No good. If we put that song out, no good. But uh sign of the times anyway, but. We, um, so we made that song, I think it's called Keep Up With The Sun. And we were like, this is, we're Beyonce right now. We're so <laughs> impressive. And then, and we kept on working and we listened to the music like two years later and we were like, whoa, like we've been doing this together. And it was just this effortless um, musical connection that I don't think that we were necessarily looking for because I don't think we, we thought that existed. And that's the beautiful part of it is that we weren't on the hunt for what we found together. Uh, we just found it really organically. And we were like, what is this? And it created this really beautiful friendship and this really beautiful um, working relationship um, that we were able to kind of pursue as our actual career, which was, is obviously the goal, right? Yeah, you can definitely see that. You can feel that. 
I see when you guys perform, you, you're all very aware of one another on stage, which is really phenomenal. And I can just tell through interviews, et cetera, and just getting to know you in person that you're a value-driven in individual. Uh, you're definitely an empath. Uh, you, you sing from, from here, uh, opposed to from here, and it's a really fantastic thing to witness. And what I love about it as well is the fact that you've given yourself the opportunity to display that doing a lot of different things. And we're gonna talk about that in some covers uh, that you've done in relation to your Juno nod. Congratulations, by the way, thank late, you, but you, you. congratulations nonetheless. Thank you. Well, it's, it's, we, we find out on June 29th. So they're, yeah. doing, you know, they're doing the actual broadcast on June 29th. We find out then. Okay. Uh, now let's go a little bit further back to when you're a child. And I had seen in one of your interviews, you were talking about the 10,000 hours that somebody has to put in to be an expert, which is roughly about 10 years. Uh, I believe you really started singing, or at least recall being more active of a singer, like when you're 11 years old. Is that accurate? Yeah, grade seven. It was about grade seven. Okay. And what was that? Was it a play? You know what? It's, it's actually really funny. I... My, so my, I, we had a, like a nanny growing up, um, Cecilia, and she used to tell me that, uh, or she used to tell me, she told me, this is probably only about four or five years ago, I found out that I used to sing Oh Canada in, um, like daycare, which is bullshit. Cause I still don't know the words to Oh Canada. So there's no freaking way at four years old, I was rocking Oh Canada, but I guess I would stand right. up and like mumble. And she was like, Oh, like, I think this, yeah, I think it was something that I was kind of born with. Didn't sing. Like I had no idea I could sing until grade seven and grade seven. Um, I think I was like singing in the shower or something. And my dad, like I got out of the shower and got dressed. And I was walking around the house. My dad was like, I heard you singing kiddo. I think you can sing. And I was like, Oh, that's nice for me. Like, I just didn't know. I went to school um, the next day and my music teacher at the time, um, he had this like little studio set up and he was like, do you want to give it a try? And I was like, I might as well. And then I did my first talent show. Uh, with another girl who could like sing, sing, Amy. She's super, super talented. Um, and I was like, I think I can sing. And I think I love doing this. I remember we sang like unwritten that was there in at the blank page before you, oh, right? That's a jam. But then I couldn't hit the high part. So I just went back down the octave. Super embarrassing. Don't want to talk about it. Um, but it was just fun. Like I just realized um, for me, I'm not to get too in depth about it, but I was, I was so intensely bullied. I just didn't know who I was from like kindergarten to grade seven. And as soon as I got on stage, everybody was like, who is this girl? Like I was completely different. It was the most, I think it was the, one of the most meant to be moments in my life that really showed me who I was. And it was, it was that direct moment and every moment after that I started finding who I was, realizing who I was, um, and, and really falling into like the real Jamie Fine. And so that moment to me, was, it was so critical in my life. Um, but it was the moment that not only did I realize I could sing, but it was what made me me as well. And that, right. that's so important. Now, do you mind exploring that just a little bit more, like in regards to the bullying, et cetera? I was someone that got bullied too. I was four foot six forever. Like, and it was awful. I got wedgied. And for people that don't know what wedgies are, Terrible. they're not fun. Like no. I remember my underwear breaking once. That Ooh. is impact. Yeah, that's Ooh. force. Yeah, that that's not it. That's not it. Yeah, it's, 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 I, you know what? There's so many things that I wish I knew then by the same token. I don't think, I think it's such, it's such an important learning process that I say that I say, I wish I knew some of the things I know now then, but I think I, I ha, you know, we all had to go through some certain things to be who we are now. Mm -hmm. Um, 
one of the things that I try to, to teach now is we have to stop teaching kids not to bully. Um, and we have to start teaching kids how to deal with bullying because mm-hmm. bullying is one of the most normal parts getting wedgied sucks. It sucks. <laughs> and like, nobody wants to do that. Can confirm. Right. Can confirm. Like Doesn't it. want to do that. But, but bullying is such a normal part of life and there's always going to be dicks out there. It's how to deal with it. It's how to, it's how to recognize whether it's words, whether it's physical, physical is obviously a really different part um, of it that, that, you know, has to be taken super seriously. Um, Everyone's going to talk shit. Everyone's going to say mean things. You're going to say mean things. Um, It's teaching people, (laughs) everybody, everybody doesn't mean to, but like we all say when we're making fun of a friend or whatever, you know, you're like, oh my God. I say mean things. Don't worry. Oh, I'm a dick. But like, but like, but like it's it's about teaching people how to say i don't care or the flip side being like why is this person saying that and it's it's about building confidence um and that's my biggest thing is that instead of teaching people bullying is wrong don't do this don't do this well there's all you're never gonna we're never gonna we're never gonna get rid of bullying what we can do is start teaching confidence and that's what i learned is that there was a direct correlation between me being insecure and getting bullied and me being confident and not getting bullied and, and my friends who I've grown up with, who still are, I'm, I'm friends with to this day, it's crazy how they could see that transition in me. That really happened in high school for me. Um, but it was like, whoa, I know who I am. And, and, and I was one of the most popular kids in high school. And to say that out loud versus grade six, when I was getting physically and emotionally bullied as well, is like, it's two polar opposites. Mm-hmm. And it happened within a couple of years. Right. Um, and that's, that's, I think the most important part, as I say, is, is teaching confidence and teaching how to love who you are and be confident who you are. Cause you, people are always going to see you the way you see yourself. Right. I think that makes a really good point to parents. And I know that there is definitely an older demographic listening to these podcasts is that you have a kid out there that is possibly getting bullied, et cetera, try to help them find that passion maybe. You know, something that they can really grab hold of and an outlet, right, to where uh, they find a little bit more self-worth. So thank you very much for, uh, yeah, yeah, dealing a little bit more with that. Now, uh, sticking with that age, you know, you're 11 years old. Who are you listening to at 11? Like, is it, I don't even know who it's then. Is it like, not new kids? That's even too late. Backstreet Boys? Don't judge me. I had this, I had this, my first ever MP3 player, a silver MP3 player, my parents called me. Uh, Black Eyed Peas and Nickelback. That was it. Black okay. Eyed Peas and Nickelback were the only two bands um, that I would listen to. Nickelback, I'm still such a huge fan of. I actually got the chance to, to meet with, uh, Chad Kruger and Nickelback in general and, and sing with them a little while ago. Um, but they, it, like them and, and Black Eyed Peas, it just made me feel something. So I refused to put anything else on. I was the kid who had maybe 15 to 20 songs on their, on their MP3 player at a time. Because I just wanted to listen to the same songs over and over again. Okay, so you're a little bit of a hip-hop head. So I'm curious if you're familiar with the fact that Black Eyed Peas, uh, Fergie was not the first female singer in that band. No, no, she was not, yeah. I I believe the lady's name was Kim. I can't remember her last name. I don't remember Uh, who it is, yeah. Yeah, but she was a black lady. Yeah, apparently the label wanted her to be a little bit more ooh, and she didn't want to be ooh. So she says, yeah, I'm not going to do this. And then five years later, they blow up they with Fergie. And then she's Sucks drinking milk and pouring milk all over her body. Anyways, if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out Fergie and milk. It is like one of the most bizarre videos I've ever seen in my life. Oh, you bet. I'm going right. to do that in my next video. <laughs> yeah, it's all about the milk. <laughs> okay, so you are 11 years old. You are finding your voice. 
you know, you move forward through life, you meet, you know, Elijah, and now there's this thing called reality TV, which is just owning the planet. Reality TV, when I was a teen, it was Survivor, and that was it. And Survivor was like, what the fuck? It was crazy, okay? Uh, and now we just have these, these shows that are on regularly. People only want to watch real life. And this is where things really started to unfold for you. Mm -hmm. So everyone wants to win a competition, obviously. That's why we're in competitions. Going into the competition, what did you think your odds were of actually winning? And then how absolutely incredible was it to win the launch? Um, really good question, actually. And nobody's asked it like that ever, um, shockingly. But going into it, we were very confident. Um, we didn't see it as a competition. We saw it as this as work. Um, this is this thing that we do every day. We the show. Listen, we said no to the launch like four or five times. Um, and, and they just kind of kept hounding us. And we were like, fine, we'll do it. Um, and there was a lot of discussion about it because of the stigma around about not only reality TV, but music television and then music Canadian television so we were like mm, is this a good idea doing it uh the reason we made the decision is because we were like this is work we what, what Elijah and I do is we go in the studio we make music every day that's what the show was it wasn't about um the drama it wasn't about uh you know us living in a house with a whole bunch of random people and seeing what what unfolded it wasn't like that it was just about the music and that's ultimately why we were like you know what let's give it a try um and so we did we um we hopped on we walked into it very very confident uh, and that was very apparent to kind of everybody um in the show i think it helped that elijah and i had each other there were a lot of solo acts on there um and and winning it i think you know what that's when everything switched for us when we because we found out that we won and we filmed in september of 2016 and our episode came out january of 2017 so we got a lot of ndas signed um but like for us, we had to hold on to this, like, whoa, this is actually kind of exciting. We didn't think we would be that excited, which sounds like very kind of douchey of us. Um, but there's, it's like, we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're making music, we're making music. And I think that was, I think that was not necessarily a defense mechanism, but I think it was just a way to help keep us calm during the actual filming process and help us forget that there were cameras, just do, do the work that we were supposed to do. But that moment when we found out if we won or not, um was like oh shit this is why we did this and like the work's done and here's the reward or the failure so to speak um and when we got that and, and they announced that we were gonna you know be releasing a song we were like oh jesus like we definitely got like a little flutter and we were like okay this is why we did this this is the feeling that we wanted um so it was beautiful it was just such a weird thing in our lives like you look at elijah and i and like we're two people that like a, you're like, wh why, why are these two? Why together? Oh, come on. But then, but, oh, it's amazing. And we live for that. But then you see us communicate. You see us on stage. You see us on the launch. And you're like, I get it. Like, I get it. And that's, we live for that initial, I don't, I wouldn't say sometimes it's a judgment for sure. You can't help being judged, but it's this initial, like, I don't get it. And then everyone gets it. And, and to us, that's, that's the most beautiful thing that we get. That's what we got from the launch is people were like, who the fuck are these two? And then by the end of it, they were like, okay, we understand. Right. And this immediate recognition, like I'm telling you, if you're going to pop, it's one thing just to have your song playing on the radio and nobody knows what you look like. But now, you know, you've lived in this city for quite some time. 
and you're already a pretty popular person, like you said, you have a good social network, et cetera. And now there's people you don't even know wanting to stop you on the street and take a picture, get an autograph, all that kind of stuff that I couldn't even imagine. Like that must be just mind blowing. It's strange because we don't take we don't take ourselves very seriously, right? And like I've always I've always like hung out with a lot of people, and as you said, like I've always just been a very social person. So I remember like going like at, to Rito with my mom when we were in like grade twelve, and how many people said hi, and she was like, "How do you know so many people?" I'm like, "I'm just social." So I'm, I've always been used to saying hi to people in, in public and not being like socially awkward. This took it to like a whoa different level because I'm also I wasn't used to the it wasn't just attention. It was like, it was compliments. And it was like, it was like, it is, it's, it's basically feeding your ego, which I never really had, you know, I think it's really important to kind of tame everyone's ego. So for me, it was like, I just didn't know how to react. I don't like being the center of attention in that way. And when people are like feeding compliments to you, especially the same ones over and over again, my thing is I really want to be authentic to everybody I talk to but if the if I'm you know going shopping and the sixteenth person in, in Loblaws says to me you have a beautiful voice, it, I, it still means the world to me. But I don't want to come off as thanks. That really means the world to me because it does. I just don't. It, it's 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 hard to keep that that real conversation going with people um, who want to have like a fifteen minuter with you and know your life and like know what you did or how you were as a kid or what your parents do or whatever. It's it's hard to have that genuine conversation and that's something that we're both still working on even after a few years of like going out in public and being like this is this is overwhelming okay so now let's talk about the song and <laughs> easy the friggin song buddy the song right now before we started the podcast I was having a conversation with you about larry king and he used to do this live segment to where he would have bands that would come on and people would call in and request songs and Every big band, every artist has that one song that was responsible for, you know, quite possibly their big break or it's a sentimental favorite but for the artists themselves who have to perform it over and over and have to ask, uh, get asked questions about that song over and over. Uh, oftentimes, you know, they don't want to play it anymore. So I've actually seen these bands put together these little 15 second renditions of people's favorites and then they, they cut it off right there, right Brilliant. when it gets good. Uh, so I know that you have a, a love-hate relationship uh, with that song. And if you can explain to the viewer why exactly that is. I think you explained it perfectly. It's, 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 it's this repetition, right? You, when you, as a consumer, as somebody who listens to music, I don't if you stream or if you download or whatever it is, you're not going to listen. You'll may listen to the same song, binge it for like a week or a month or whatever. But eventually you're going to move on to another song. For us we can't move on from some fucking song. We right. just have to keep singing it. Which, one of the things we said is that we're really thankful for Ain't Easy. And we always, whenever we're on stage, every time I take my mic stand and I put it up to the crowd and they sing every word, that is the most rewarding feeling in the world. We, we always re-fall in love with that song um, mm -hmm. every time we get a, a chance to do that. So we never, we say that we're sick of it. And as soon as it, in our in-ears, we get the count Ain't Easy. Three, two, one. We're like, oh, here we go, boys. We're about yeah. to fuck this song up. But then we start singing it, and we see the energy in the crowd, and we're like, how can we hate something like this? How can we, how can we hate on something really, really beautiful? Right. Um, so it, it is. It's as you said, it's for Wavestride. It's love hate. Love hate. So 
basically when you're on stage and you're performing, you see the adoration of your fans wanting to sing along with you because that's a moment thing that you're having, right? You are together and I've, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I remember when I saw your last show, like it's just, it was, uh, it was electric and you could feel not just energy. Like there's a love thing going on there. You definitely have like a love relationship with your fans. And, and I can see that just through the conversation that I'm having with you right now and the vocabulary that you, you use, which is uh, phenomenal by the way. Uh, yeah, it's all passion. And, uh, Oh, I think I just lost my train of thought right there. Just complimenting me. <laughs> I'm just complimenting you, telling yeah. you how awesome you were. Yeah. Uh, no, but that, that relationship that, that you do have with your fans that are special, uh, wanting to make sure that they, they're enjoying that moment. But if you were just driving by and you're listening to the radio on the Ottawa streets, wherever you might be, like Switch. you're turning that song off immediately. Switch. Yeah, to you anything have else. To <laughs> to anything else. I'd rather listen to Happy Birthday on repeat. Okay. What's the most obscure stuff that you listen to? You know what? I listen to anything that, that sounds different typically. Um, I listen to like a lot of like J. Cole um, to get inspiration um, through his storytelling. I still rock out to Nickelback all the time, which I'm probably going to get judged for. Um, I, I like and from Anderson Pack to Kiana Lede, like there's a whole bunch of, of artists out there who are not focused on mainstream and it's slowly becoming the mainstream. And I, I think that's really beautiful to watch is that people are starting to get so desperate and consumed by something that's different because right. we're sick of the same, same, same. So you turn on the radio, it's starting to be, you look at Billie Eilish. Um, Billie Eilish, how many, two years ago had how many followers? And now look at her, she's the biggest artist in the world. Mm -hmm. Her song that plays on the radio, Top 40 right now, a year ago would not be acceptable on the radio. Mm -hmm. She's changing the wave of, of how it is. So anybody that's doing anything different, um, I'm listening to Kiana Lede is one of my favorite um, albums out right now. Um, she just had, um, she just dropped an album actually at the beginning of the pandemic a few months ago. And it's anybody, sh everybody should check that out. It's very R&B, but it's, it's gorgeous. Okay. Fantastic. And so that song certified platinum, that's something cool. Is that something you always like dreamed of happening? Was that something that wasn't even on the radar or you're just like, Oh my God. Yeah. We didn't see it coming. It's one of those things that like we walked into radio at the beginning of this career, even before the launch, we would have a couple meetings with some radio stations around Canada and we walk in and we see the plaques on the wall and we're like, Oh, we've always seen those. Huh? We've never even thought about getting a gold record, a platinum record, a double platinum record. So then uh, they surprised us. Our team, our label actually surprised us. They asked us to go down to Toronto um, for like an interview and we were like, all right. So we, we, we fly down and, um, and live on eTalk, I think it was, they brought out the, the gold, um, the certified gold plaque. And we were like, oh, Jesus, like this, we were like, we did not know how to react. Um, thanks for doing that to our team on live television. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just, it was one of those moments that like every artist is like, you, you, you hear like Justin Bieber certified double platinum, certified triple platinum, whatever it is. And then it happens to you and you're like, okay, like what we're doing is it's, it's, a, it's the validation that you need, right? It's, the fans are one thing, um, but on, putting on paper that, that your song is selling and that it's doing well, that's the other, that's the other part of it that, that people who don't sing don't think about. Right. When you're listening to a song on Spotify, you're not like, I wonder if this song is gold. I wonder if it's platinum. Um, you're just listening to it because you like it. So it's kind of the other side of the industry that nobody really talks about or knows about. Okay. So all these things that we've spoken of to this point, all led to kind of like 
well, the Canadian mecca of achievements, right? And you're talking about being acknowledged and getting that validation. And obviously you want validation from your fans and of course from your peers. And then to get some Juno nods and not only do it once, but to do it twice and in major categories against people that I'm sure, you know, that you've looked at previously thinking like, wow, like these guys are doing this and now you're those guys doing that. What is it like when you get that call or you get that email and someone lets you know that you've been nominated for a Juno? That stop time for us. Junos are, I mean, everyone jokes that the, the Junos are Canadian Grammys and they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's one of those things that when, you know, Elijah and I always say it um, when we're talking to people about it, when we were growing up, you know, we, we would sit down with our friends and get together to watch the Junos. Um, same with the MMVAs and stuff like that. Like it was just, it was such a social thing that we were like, wow. And like, we were, we were, we were so enthralled by it. Um, and then when we got, when we got our first, you know, nomination, Elijah and I actually, it was funny. I was in an appointment and I was in an appointment at the, the hour that they were broadcasting who the nominees were. So Elijah and our manager, JR, got together at his place. And I was like, you got to text me. Like, I can't watch it. So you've got to text me. It was on TV. Um, and he texted me. And we were the last categories announced. Um, and it just put this, like, whoa. Um, it gave us shivers. Like, we were like, oh, my God. There's, there's certain moments that really we're, we're, so, we're so hard on ourselves. And we're always like, this was a great achievement. What's the next one? What's the next one? What's the next one? This stopped time for us and was like, this is a big, this is a, this is big for us. We got to enjoy this moment. We got to take it in. Um, and then this past year, we got to go to the actual June, the, the live broadcast of, of the Juno nominations. And that was a, that was an energy in that room. Um, and yeah. Alessia Carr was right there. And uh, there were so many artists around us that we really look up to. And like you said, you know, Alessia Carr won a, a Grammy a couple of years ago. Um, and we're in the same category as her. And for us, it goes back to, we don't take ourselves that seriously. So we're like, are you sure? Did you mess up? Because are you sure we're in the category? But it, it's beautiful for us, and we're 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 really honored to be a part of the Junos. Does an incredible job. Them as a as a a society, like or a community, yes. they just do such an incredible job for Canadian artists. We're really we're really lucky to be part of it. Yes, and they've really stepped up their game in production value, in the glamour, and things of that nature. And I believe a lot of that is also attributed to artists such as yourself uh, making really great music, uh, really bringing people together. Like you're an artist that would make people want to watch the Junos, not just because of the music that you sing, which is incredible, but also because people are rallying around other good people. And I think artists like yourself that are out there making good music and also presenting themselves well to the public, uh, that also, you know, pushes the Junos to the next level. It's something fresh. It's something innovative. And, I'm almost done. (laughs) That's beautiful. Thank you. I really, that's beautiful. Thank you. And it's spectacular. And they have done this thing 365, right? Which is really fantastic at the Junos, uh, where artists get to put uh, a spin on a song. And you picked a really interesting song. You really stripped it down. Uh, It's an acoustic version, Brood by Magic. Mm -hmm. And people can find that online as well. I strongly suggest that you do. I'll make sure that actually I put the link in the bio. I can do that. It's my podcast. There you go. Uh, So talk about this 365 Juno session and what that was all about. 
Um, so they reached out to us. Uh, it was when we, we, we had a meeting with, with the Junos. We went into the office in Toronto and we had this beautiful meeting with really, really cool people um, just so that they could learn a little bit more about who we are besides our music. Um, and then we got this beautiful opportunity to, to do this Juno 365. And we were like, we were really interested in what it was. We thought it was really cool to celebrate Canadian music um, because again, there's a stigma around Canadian music, but you look at the top 10 artists in the world and half of them are Canadian right now. Right. So I think that the Junos are doing a really great job at showcasing how huge Canadian music is right now and how big it's always been. Um, but, but now people are finally starting to realize. And I think with this 365 sessions, we looked at the list, they, they, they gave us a list of all the songs. So it's the basically song of the year for every year for the last couple decades. And we saw Rude by Magic and we were like, that song, there's only so many melodies in the world. There's only so many words in the English language. To be able to find something new to write about and do it in a different way, I think is one of the most impressive things in the world as a writer. Um, and, and Magic um, did this incredible job at writing a song about asking for a hand in marriage. Like that's, that's not something that like, when you're like, I want to write a song, that's not the first thing that comes to mind. You want to write about heartbreak. You want to write about love. You want to write about catastrophe. You want to write it. But to, to be able to come up with something like that, and the melodies are so beautiful that Elijah and I were like, we always like making things a little more depressing than they have to be. God bless us. So we, um, we just stripped it back and we had such an amazing time doing it. And it was in this beautiful room. And I don't know, it was, it was just a lot of fun with a lot of fun people. Um, and it, I, as I say, it's a really beautiful way to showcase some of the biggest songs in the world. Because Magic, Rude didn't just do well in Canada. It went, it, went, it went crazy internationally. We were hearing it play in Germany when we went. Like, it was just huge. Um, so it's, it's, celebrate. it's a celebration of really, really, really talented Canadian artists. Right. And it gave you the opportunity to showcase your voice. I think there's a stigma being a pop artist that you can't sing. Can't sing. <laughs> yeah. Where you obviously can. And for anyone that's seen you live, they know you can sing. And... I won't necessarily make the association, but I will a connection with Alanis Morissette. And I think that one of the things that I, I regret the most, not that it's me, but her fame kind of came without that ability to go out there and really showcase her chops. Because there's a lot of people out there that don't know that Alanis Morissette has an angelical voice. You know, it's, it's, absolutely crazy but so many people only know her for the ironic stuff catchy shit like don't get me wrong those are great absolutely. tunes that's a soundtrack to a lot of people's lives uh, so I think it's just so fantastic that so early in your career that you're able to exhibit the different dynamics your range your interests I think by people just listening to your your portfolio they have a pretty good understanding of who you are uh, and and that dynamic range and how you're really able to stick it to whatever it is it seems that you want to do. Uh, I can only. <laughs> you're, you're my gonna... guy, man. I came on here just to get an ego kick. <laughs> That's what I needed. You're you're gonna be making like a country album by forty because you're gonna like <laughs> yeah, knock yeah. everything else out of the park earlier yeah. than everyone else. You know, you're gonna, yep. you're gonna that by a solid ten fifteen years. Um, so speaking of you know other female uh, vocalists, what's your like? odd obsession with Cher. You said you had some kind of like yeah, weird yeah. obsession with Cher and you never went into it. So what is it with Cher? I don't even know. I don't even love her music. Like I don't listen to her music like at all. Like yeah. I, the only song I know is 
is the the popular one about love <laughs> just like i just i i find her outrageously fascinating um i think she share has always been unforgivably share she doesn't make any apologies for who she is and and by no means has she I don't want I don't want to make this sound like a negative thing. By no means has she is she the most popular person in the world. But she's impacted so many people's lives in the most outrageous ways because she's so unforgivably her. And I find that to be one of the most admirable traits in the world. Um, but I think she would just be such a fun person. I watched Burlesque and I was like, I think I'm in love with Cher. I can't be certain, <laughs> but I think I'm in love with Cher. I just want to meet her. She's one of the people like dead or alive who you, who you want to sit down with for an hour. She's right. one of the people that I want to sit down with and just pick her brain and see what the hell's going on up there. Cause it's gotta be something miraculous. I'm telling you. Okay. You hear you that Cher? You hear that Cher? You're being called out right now. Come at me. Yeah. Come <laughs> Hit me up, bro. Hit me up, bro. Zen. So so what are you doing nowadays outside of just writing so on and so forth? What are the next steps? Let's say if everything was going to open up in three months, what would that look like for Jamie Fine, Elijah Woods, all the band members, et cetera? I think we're, the first thing is we're really excited to get back on stage. Unfortunately, I think that's kind of the last thing that's going to come back to normal. Um, I think that's the first thing. Playing live music feeds our soul a lot. And I, I think that we're going to try to find creative ways to do that. Um, that still kind of fit within, um, the rules and regulations. Uh, so live is first, we're writing a lot of music, uh, for other artists. Um, one of the things that we, you know, we've said a handful of times that Elijah and I started out as writers and we started out as writing for other artists, um, rather than ourselves. We weren't sure we wanted to be our own artists. Um, and we're really heading back to that. And we, we've opened up some really cool opportunities in the last few months because everyone is sitting at home, doing the same thing right uh so so there's there's no more excuses for trying to send your song to an a-lister because they're there they're getting it they have nothing else to do mm -hmm. um and that's what we're doing so we're, we're that's that's one of the biggest things i think we're really going back to our roots of, of being writers and creators and working with other artists to see um how creativity is is um expanded when you have when you have more than one creative in the room uh, and that's been a lot of fun so if, if everything would open up in three months we'd start with the live and we continue doing writing sessions with all these really, really talented people. Okay. And could you throw out a couple of names right there? Some people that you're trying to do some writing for? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I can't because everything is a process and that sucks. But I'm out of here. I mean, yeah, honestly, okay. kick rocks. Um, <laughs> no, like, I, yeah, we're, we're, writing, we're writing with um, a lot of really cool camps right now um, and a lot of, of producers in certain camps. So whether that's, you know, you know, people who, who have worked with Party Next Door and Kalani and Drake and all these people. It's not necessarily we're, looking, we're working with those people. We're working with people who, um, who have produced really good music for these artists. Right. Um, and that's what's really cool is that finally we have access, not finally, but we have access to, to these really talented people who have, who have worked on really special projects that are, are very, very popular and really big. Um, so yeah, just, just kind of getting in different camps um, but yeah, unfortunately I can't get into specifics because I okay. get killed. The next podcast. Next the, ne podcast. the next podcast. There you go. Hopefully when the song's released. Right. Okay. Know. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so where can people find you online? What do you want people to know about what's happening right now? Like go, the screen is yours. This is it. This is it. Um, you can find us on all social media. Elijah was ex Jamie fine. EXJ. Um, mine's Jamie fine music. Elijah has Elijah Woods music. Um, and, and, and right now I would honestly just say, 
stream the music if you want. And that's it. If you don't like it, I still love you. And if you right. like it, I might love you a little more. No offense. I'm just ah, no worries. Jamie Fine, Juno nominee, soon to be an award winner. Totally. I know it. It is your time, and we're going to find out soon. Uh, and I'll make sure to send you off a little text and congratulate you. Okay, let's put that out into the universe. Uh, you're most definitely due and most definitely deserving of it. I cannot thank you for spending an hour of your time with me on this podcast. And I know that everyone watching it is going to enjoy it. And I got so many messages being like, oh, my God, Jamie Fox is on the show. And like inside, I'm like, I know, it's going to be so great. And it was a really fantastic chat. Thank you for going deep in some areas where we were not expecting to go deep. Uh, it was absolutely a pleasure uh, to have you on. Uh, and once again, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Gallant Media, for websites, graph design, custom tees. Soon we're going to be doing your stuff, I'm sure. Jamie Fine, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I got hey, you. Got to put it you. out there. Got to put it out, out there. there yeah. uh, right? Uh, so thank you once again to everybody for listening. You take care. Be well. Love simply because you can. Jamie, that Buddy, was amazing. You're you're really really great at what you do, man. Holy shit, you're great. Oh, good. I appreciate it. You're great. As soon and there's it's it's opening up a little bit, but you want to go for some social media or some social distancing uh, drinks? Let's do it. We should head up Moxie's. I'd love to see you. Yes, let's do that later on this week. How does that sound? It's perfect. Okay. Thanks for doing this with me, man. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Honestly, it was uh, it was a real thrill. I really do appreciate oh, you taking the time. It was a lot of fun, brother. We'll see you soon, okay? Okay, sounds good. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye.